What happens when you know more than your boss about veterinary medicine? This week, we're going to talk about the dilemma that many of us face when our bosses, supervisors, and managers continue to support outdated protocols. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine, and a tough topic that many of us confront at some times during our professional career looks like this. You find out some new awesome thing, a new drug, a new treatment, a new procedure, a new way of doing something, and you want to bring it to your boss or supervisor or manager, at which point you are roundly <laughs> refused and nothing changes. That's frustrating. This week, we're going to talk about how to handle that situation, does that situation happen more frequently than we like to talk about, and what are some of the little things you can do to nudge your management in the right direction. But before we get into that conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And viewfinders, this conversation is really an extension of many conversations that we've had over the last four and a half years. And that is, how do you handle sometimes the mismatch, misalignment, power dynamic that exists in many clinics? And again, the example we're talking about today is what happens when you know something should be changed for the better for your pet patients, and yet you're confronted by... A management, an owner, a supervisor who says, uh-uh, we've been doing it this other way all this time, not interested in the new stuff. Becky, this happens to everybody in a veterinary clinic. Am I right? Oh, I, I, 100%. I, I wish no, but I think it really does. Yeah, and I think that, you know, in this day and age with such rapid-fire advances in medicine and surgery and anesthesia and with the explosion in veterinary technician abilities you know, Becky, I think right now there's probably more friction and tension around protocol misalignments. You know, again, the new way of doing something versus the way that you did it 30 years ago. I mean, I think it's more rampant than ever before. Or I, I mean, or maybe I'm just seeing things differently. No, it, I mean, it is. And it's, you know, it's funny because the Internet takes off all covers and you know everything's <laughs> public and so you have these conversations going online about like what are you guys doing for this and is anybody else seeing this or did anybody else know that or somebody posts a protocol and somebody comes in and says hey here's a paper that says this isn't a great idea or a new paper comes out and somebody posts and says here's some new science and in defense of veterinary technicians and, and my profession, I think I'll, the majority of veterinarians underestimate the continuing education and knowledge and passion of my profession. And I often overlook the knowledge because we aren't DVMs, heaven forbid. But I think this is where we've touched a lot on respecting every role in the clinic for what that role is. But at the end of the day, I think that we know the veterinarian is in charge of the protocol, and so there can be a real morale bust when you are are pulling protocols you know are subpar. 
Yeah. And Becky, I'll apply this to my side of the ledger, professionally speaking, and that's to the veterinarians. Young associates are graduating from vet school, really just brimming with new knowledge and techniques. And while they lack experience, they've got a lot of information that they're really eager to share. And so I think sometimes they're shut down simply because, you know, we've been doing this a lot longer than you. And therefore, you know, what you're saying is is really not going to going to be respected. And I think what I want to talk about today, Becky, is whether you're a veterinary technician, a young associate veterinarian, or, or an experienced associate, and you're trying to bring something new and you're being you know, shut down. That's what I want to do is how do we actually navigate those waters? How do we successfully communicate with a superior, whether it's an owner, a manager, a supervisor, whatever it may be, when they say no, how do we get to maybe? <laughs> I think that's what I want to focus on today. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different strategies and there's probably no one good answer. I, I kind of lean into like, know your love languages. And in, in this case, it's maybe not love languages, but know your change languages. What motivates the individual that you are trying to change? Um, basic dog and cat behavior. Okay, just think about positive reinforcement. Right. What behavior do you want and what chain of actions will have to get you there and positively reinforce it along the way. But the truth is, if your veterinarian is like, I will not change this protocol based on financial decisions, is this based on the fact that they lost one patient under anesthesia 47 years ago and they will therefore never change a protocol again because it works and they haven't lost an animal since? Is it you know, what is what is the motivation for the lack of change? So you can come at it from that perspective. Um, I find that to be the best, I think, way of trying to bring about the change. And, and I find it so interesting because so often technicians are sent to CE events by the veterinarians that they work for and the office managers they work for. They want you to come back and tell everybody what you learned. Right. <laughs> like pack it in a box and forget it. You know, instead of saying, okay, the third step from that would be now what can we take from this and implement as updated new best practices? But it just sort of seems like tell us what you learned, get it out, and then we're going right back to yesterday. Right. And a lot of this, you know, is based based on heuristics and on cognitive bias that that your managers and your superiors actually have. And Becky actually gave a very good example of, hey, you know, I tried to change my anesthetic protocol one time. It ended in disaster. Therefore, I will never change that again. And that's honestly a cognitive bias now. This person has a really a mental barrier to change anesthetic protocols. And suddenly now you're a young vet tech, you're a, an associate veterinarian, and you've just gone to a conference and they're saying, oh, wow, here is the best, safest, newest thing to try. Now you're up against cognitive bias with your supervisor. So I think, Becky, you're right. You need to understand what your, I love it, change language is because everybody's going to be levered by a different thing. And you actually drew out two important distinctions already, Becky. Number one, economic pressure. So sometimes your boss or supervisor says, hey, I agree. We think this is a fantastic new thing to do, but we don't have the resources to, to get it. Now, that's one thing we're going to talk about how to overcome economic challenges, right, Becky? But that's a real legitimate reason to say maybe not, okay? The second thing is, look, 
I don't understand. And this could be an anesthetic protocol, a new antibiotic, you know, a new pain med, whatever, right? Cancer treatment. Right now, we're about to be at the, <laughs> vets. If you're not out there already up, up on what's happening in cancer treatment in general practice, I mean, please do, because there's some amazing advancements that are happening as we speak and even more just around the corner. So suddenly now it's like, whoa, you know, I'm not familiar. I've never treated cancer like that in general practice. And suddenly, you know, you're, you don't know if you should or could or how much it'll cost. So it's that knowledge bias too. And again, I'm, I'm kind of mixing some terminology here, but what I'm trying to say is, look, they don't understand. So Becky, the first thing um, I want to save economics for a second, but when when you have knowledge that you feel would benefit your pet patients or your practice in whatever capacity you see fit, and your boss does not have that knowledge, what's the first step that you think you should take to say, let me educate you on this without actually saying that? I was like, well, I can tell you what not to say. <laughs> let me school you on that, old timer. Back up, friend. I mean, uh, I really think again, the why. So I noticed we use this X protocol. Um, I was sort of curious, where did this protocol come from within our clinic? Um, I'm always interested to kind of know the history of things. You know, like, I don't know, it's what the vet that worked here before me had on the wall. Like, I mean, find out what that why is, because I think there are some times that you have to decide you're not going to be the one to change something. So um, if it is just because it is what's tried and true and trusted, I think then you have to evaluate the level of trust between you and that particular individual that they're going to place in you to provide a better solution to then what they're doing. Chances are they're not going. It's probably not going to be you. Maybe it is, but maybe it needs to be a colleague. Maybe it needs to be scientific papers. Maybe it needs to be a lecture at a conference. Maybe it needs to be your drug rep to come in and have a conversation about what's new and on the market and why it's the best. Um, But I think that, again, just beating a drum because you have something to say while I I'm a little bit of a hypocrite for saying this is not always the best way to get your point across. Right. And really to get the point across, Becky, it's a combination of all of those factors in most cases, right? It's like a little bit of this, because what we do know about human behavior and change in in particular is that it usually takes repeated different perspectives of the same information. And this is where that old truism, you know, back from the fifties and sixties came about where if a person hears something six times from reliable sources, they accept it as the truth. And what that's saying is that, okay, if these are, and this was like used in the news and media, so like if you read it in a newspaper and you saw it on the television news, you know, and then your neighbor or your boss said the same thing, well, after a certain amount of times of you hearing that same story or information from trusted sources, you say, it must be true. You actually don't do the work yourself, you know? Yeah. So so this repetition, different perspectives, papers, drug reps, colleagues, you know, online resources, whatever it may be, that's kind of that package. And, and I think that's the first start of viewfinders I want to say today. Like, let's say you want to change something, whatever it is, for whatever reason you want to change it, okay? You've got to do the work. You have to actually assemble the ingredients or you will not successfully bake change. And and by that, I mean, you need to say, okay, here's a paper. Here's a colleague that you can contact. Here's a drug rep who would love to come in and give you additional details. You know, here is an online... you know, chat <laughs> that's all about this, you know, a blog, a webinar, whatever it might be. So suddenly now you're getting all the ingredients so that when you 
present to that to that boss or that supervisor, you can suddenly go, look, hey, you know, I know that you want to know more information. And here's one, two, three, four, five. And Becky, before that, let me just back up one quick step. I always, when I'm trying to change somebody or persuade somebody to, to do something that I think they should, um, I always lead with compassion. And viewfinders, you've, you've heard me say this multiple times over the years, whatever it is, I'm going to lead with compassion. This is particularly important when it comes to clients. And so you want that client to do the senior, you know, blood test or, or they want to, you know, start the feline heartworm preventive or, or have the spay or neuter or surgery or whatever it might be. But it's always, you know, kind of for me, it's like, hey, I know how much you care about Buster. And that's why I want to talk to you about, you know, this, this procedure or whatever. So go to your boss, say, you know, look, I know how much you care about our patient uh, safety here. You know, I know how much you care about delivering the highest quality of medicine. And that's why I want to have this conversation with you today. I think leading with compassion is a good tactic to start off with. And then of course you do the rest. I sort of agree. I mean, I think I'll be compassionate always, but again, I think it goes back to really their why, because honestly, maybe they don't think that maybe they don't feel that maybe honestly, best patient care is not more important to them than saving money because I sure have seen a lot of examples of that out there. And I think that there are times that truthfully best practices or what's current and changing are not the motivation of people. So I think just coming at them saying, this is your motivation and I know that, I don't know that I would go that route just in the sense that it might not be. And it's going to be easier for them to shrug you off. I think it makes it even more important to find out what their actual and true motivator is. Right. And that's what I mean by leading with compassion. You have to find what they are passionate about. So if it's economics, like you say, and I agree, it's sadly too many times that's what actually drives the needle. It's going to be, do I get make money off of this? So, you know, you, that's when you go, you know, hey, listen, I know that you're always concerned about, you know, our practice economics and we want to make sure that we remain profitable. That's why I want to talk to you about this. That's what I mean by leading by compassion or with compassion. In my head, it went, I know you're just trying to save a buck and not do best money, but <laughs> best, best practices in here. So I'm going to tell you that's how it went in my head. So I think this is better. Okay, so so however you do that, you find that why, and, and I think you lead with that. I think that's excellent. You then assemble some ingredients, because I will tell you, as as you know, Becky and I have, have expressed, both of us agree with this over time, you know, it's that, hey, don't just come in with a half-baked idea. Don't just come in with excitement and enthusiasm actually sit down, write down what it is you're trying to do, right? Because I think that that is such an important act, you know, Becky, it's just assembling your thoughts, sort of getting it together, and then understanding certain parts of this argument maybe don't make sense. And so lean into the things that do make the most sense for your practice. I think writing down your idea for change, whatever it might be, is actually an excellent first step. I think think more and more managers don't really want anybody to come to that you know it's it's hard to i should say have somebody come to you with you know a what but not a how because it sort of i think feels like they're putting that mental load on you like you know what we really need to do is this and you should figure that out um and you know often you look at your staff and you say a great idea how do we do that come back to me when when you know that's how we can do that so you're absolutely right i think you have to kind of come with this whole package right This is what's important to you. This is what I know about this. This is how it would be impactful to our clinic. And this is how I suggest we rock it out is a lot easier to manage than just sort of like dumping this thing that says, this is how we should be doing it. And you need to just change your protocols. Um, 
And I think everyone wants to take the path of least resistance. That's inherent in nature. So if you make it easy, if that transition looks easy, uh, I think people are a lot more likely to be open to it. But at the same time, too, you know, what do you do when they just simply are not going to be open to it? You know, just because we know what's important to them doesn't mean we can make them care more about something we feel is important. That's the fear of of starting this. They don't initiate yeah. it because they go, oh, I've already assumed that you're not going to accept it. But getting back to that, writing it down, you're right, Becky. You know, I used to say, don't come to me with a complaint. Come to me with a solution. Sure. And and by actually, you know, writing it down, having assembling the ingredients, you know, now you're going to your manager or your boss or whomever, and you're saying, you know, hey, I've identified this. Here's the solution. And you're right, Becky. I love the way you said it. Otherwise, it feels like you're just unloading more work on me and I'm already overworked. And so now I've got to solve your problems. You know, come back when you got something for me. Right. That's that's what I feel. But let's get back to that. Let's let's say now you're in the moment. okay? and you've you've done your work. You've done the work. You've got everything together. You've made a cogent, at least in your mind, an opinion. And hopefully you've talked to this this with a colleague or somebody you trust in the clinic and it makes sense to them. And now you're sitting across from that supervisor and you're like, "Uh -uh, I don't want to hear it. And this is one of the things I think that that you have to be willing anytime you're asking someone else to do something with you or for you. And that is negotiate, right? I mean, you may not get everything you want, but you've got to be willing to say, this is a first step. You know, Becky, what I'm, does that make sense to you? It's like, sometimes we go in there and it's an all or none proposition. Well, we're going to change the protocol. Or we're going to get this new drug. Well, sometimes that person who's in charge isn't ready to go all in with you. Maybe they need that next couple of steps. Like maybe they want to trial it. So can you offer sort of what I would say a plan B is, am I making sense, Becky? Sure. I always think it the best one is, Hey, my dog needs to be spayed. And I'm thinking we try this new protocol. I know my dog is ovarioectomized only because of this very Ah. reason, (laughs) because we're experimenting on new protocols, Right. right? I think you can identify patients within the practice that may be more low-risk anesthetic patients or uh, may may really fit a great criteria. Um, and, and I think one of the biggest reasons, guys out there, I'm just going to put this as a little caveat. This, to me, is important, and the biggest sell behind this is because our drugs are becoming, like, not reliably right. available. And so I think having these backup protocols is really, really important for that reason. Um, and I know that that's kind of getting into the weeds of this conversation a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, it is an important conversation because I think we can't just ignore it if we are relying on one protocol that could, that, that might potentially not be the best or not be forever available. Oh, Becky, you're absolutely right. I mean, I can't tell you over the past year, the number of veterinarians that have just sort of abandoned whole parts of their pain management protocols because a drug was not available. And they just like, well, I can't get the drug. And it's like, well, (laughs) there might be another alternative. Did you think about that? Well, I've never really used those other drugs. It's like, okay. (laughs) Right. Or I don't do blocks. I don't know how to do those blocks to reduce the pain. I mean, you know, like we don't put soaker casts in our amputations. I'm like, sorry, why? You know, we have so much better pain management things we can do that we just choose not to because of a lack of understanding or we don't think about it or whatever, whatever. So you're, you know, that, I mean, it comes down to, you need to be prepared for all situations. You can't just dump a protocol, especially a pain protocol for heaven's sake, because it's not available. It's our job to remain uh, nimble 
in this profession, especially knowing that we are, we're secondary in the healthcare field to what's going to get provided medications. Right. And, and getting back to this, you know, you're across from the person yes. and they're not really receptive. I mean, first and foremost, getting back to cognitive bias and behavior, you know, people are change averse. Becky, I mean, especially when you're in a role of responsibility, the last thing you want to do is try something that fails, especially when it comes to patient care and safety. So you can imagine you've got to also put yourself in their seats, you know, and and see it from their perspective going, hey, Ernie, I get it. This is a sounds like a really exciting advancement. But you know what? If it's not so exciting and it's not really an advancement, then I'm on the hook for this. Right. So I do. I always would say when you encounter resistance, go another route. So try to find a path where there's a little crack or fracture. And like Becky was saying, say, hey, no, no, I totally get it. We're not saying it. Try it on all of our pets right now, although I think that's what we'll wind up doing. But you know what? How about the next five patients, you know, that come in presenting with this particular condition that we try it, you know, and then we sort of sit down and critically analyze it, you know, and then we keep moving forward. I mean, sometimes that approach alone will get you part of the way to change. I think another thing you can look at, and in one way I know I've approached it, is finding and identifying a problem it already does address. So we talked about the potential of shortage and having a backup technique, right? But like, I also think things like um, saying, you know, the the last couple dogs we used, I noticed this protocol and this surgery, I noticed did this. And, you know, maybe we had to run them a little high on gas or they took a little long to recover. They, they woke up pretty dysphoric. I read, I found some research that said if we tried X, Y, and Z, then maybe we're identifying it by procedure. And we're not really capping it as our anesthetic protocol, but it's a option along with this procedure to relate to better outcomes. And you're exactly right. We don't say, let's just change this. It's like, let's, could we try this the next time we do this? And I think when we look at it, we take a little bit out of the personal, we take a little bit out of the, you know, this exact dog, this exact situation, and you're under the gun, you're planning for it down the road. Hey, the next time we have an ACL, do you think we could try this new protocol I read? Could we try this block? Could we try this option? And then you also have some time between then and now to have conversations and prepare. You're not saying, oh, hey, can we do this today? Can we do this tomorrow? And and kind of putting somebody in a corner. Um, I know for me, if you, I, I just really have to think things through a little bit. And so you might say something to me that my immediate reaction is like, I, uh, nope, I'm uncomfortable. Um, once that uncomfortable washes over me, I think I can maybe think through it a little better. So um, one, all of that. And then two, like, saying, what would you think about this? Maybe even before you have an exact answer is just saying like, I noticed this, maybe we could find a solution together and making them part of that actual entire process instead of being like, hey, I did all this research behind you and because I decided it wasn't working and here it is. Wow, there's so much goodness there to unpack viewfinders. <laughs> I just love it. So much. the first thing I will share with you is something that I learned undergrad, and that is that biology is not definitive. Okay, so so getting back to why you need different protocols and different you know strategies, it's because patients are different. Sometimes things work, and if you just lock yourself into one very strict dogmatic regimen, 
you're not going to be serving the patient as I think as as well as you could. The other thing is, I love what Becky said. You know, this is getting back to what I call the power of the pause. Don't just expect that you have to get a definitive answer right there in that moment. Sometimes you need to say, hey, you know, I know this is a lot to process today. How about if we, you know, you go home, take a look at some of this material and, and you know, maybe we reconnect uh, tomorrow or the next day. So sometimes, like Becky said, upon further reflection or you don't, I'm now getting out of that corner that I feel like you're backing me into demanding an answer right now. Sometimes giving that power of the pause will allow that person to come to a different conclusion sometimes. And then the final thing, a strategy that I, I, I've learned, uh, I, I don't know if I was taught this or if I just stumbled on it, but years ago with our staff, one of the things I would do if I was bringing up a new idea at our weekly staff training, and you know how sometimes, Becky, you're talking about something and you're like, this is awesome. And you're looking at the faces in the room and they're going, that is not so awesome, Dr. <laughs> Ward. I'm not sure where, what, what are you doing? So I used to try this strategy and, and, uh, and this might help you. Uh, I would say, okay, guys, you know, listen, just, you know, uh, Becky on a scale of one to 10, how do you rate this idea? Like, how do you think this would work out in our clinic? Now I'm going to give you a little secret. Becky's never going to give me a 10 and rarely will people actually ever give you a 10. And that's the beauty of this little tactic, Becky. So then Becky comes out and says, oh, you know, Dr. Ward, I think it's, it's a pretty good, you know, I mean, I don't know a lot about that drug or that procedure, but you know, I, I'd probably say it's a seven or eight. And then this is where the magic happens. Becky, what would it take for you to give me a 10? And so now Becky gets to somehow give me a better answer that I can now work on. Because Becky says, well, I don't know enough about that drug. I've never heard of that procedure. I don't know anybody who's ever done that. Whatever thing that Becky then says to get me to the 10, that's what I go and do more work on. And I hope that helps. Becky, I don't know if you've used similar type, types of tactics, but you know that little simple, give me a, on a scale of 1 to 10, and you know, I expect a 7 or 8, and then I say, how would I get to a 10? Can help me. I actually, I mean, I love that. I think that's a great way. Again, I think it's being collaborative. Nobody really wants to be told what to do, um, especially if they're the ones that ultimately bear responsibility. And I think overall, and maybe this is, again, getting a little bit in the weeds, but I think you should be reading everything in your clinic on a scale (laughs) of 1 to 10 on a regular basis. Like, that's such a good idea, right? Like, ask everybody what you think of the anesthetic protocols on a scale of one to 10, ask everybody what you think about pain management skills on a one to 10, uh, practice, you know, vaccine protocols, ask everyone, because what happens when you find out some people in your clinic have it as like a three, uh, I would love to know what they would like to see change and how we could improve their opinion of our practice because, Oh, hold on. We almost got through a whole episode without saying that's going to affect the culture. (laughs) You know, and, and I guess as we wrap up today's conversation, viewfinders, what this is really about is understanding that progress happens with or without your permission, you know? So, so things are going to change. We are change averse by nature. We have systems built in place to protect us, not to, you know, progress the profession, so to speak. So it's always, this is going to happen. It's going to happen over and over again in your career and in your life. And so, you know, you're always going to be in a situation where somebody knows more than you or knows something that's better than what you've been doing, and you've got to learn how to deal with it. So now I'm going to flip it slightly on the other side. Let's say you are that manager, that owner, that supervisor in that clinic, and people are bringing you ideas. And I'll tell you right now, you've got to let go of ego and hubris, Becky, because a lot of times the reason that we push away other ideas is because they're not our ideas, right? And they're maybe they're, they knew something that we didn't 
know. And so our ego then gets in the way and it clouds our judgment. And suddenly now that technician, right, you, Becky, a vet tech, are telling me, a doctor of veterinary medicine, something that I don't know anything about. So, so way I, the way I salvage and prop up my ego, Becky, is to do what? To reject what you're saying, to put you down. And so if you're a supervisor or manager out there today, just really let go of hubris and ego whenever you're confronted with, with something like this and don't instantly default to, nope, that's not a great idea because I didn't think about it. I think it's such a natural tendency for people, right? To, to say that, like, I'm sorry. I think it's a natural tendency for insecure people, myself included. I have recognized in the past that criticism is very difficult to take when you sense that it implies you are not perfect because you are aiming and striving for perfection, which is right, a whole right. other topic that we've, we've delved into before. And perfection being one of the most damaging things you can expect of yourself. So as we grow and get healthier. And so if, if you do have a tendency, like if you're feeling a little heard when we say you get defensive, you may want to look at why that defensiveness happens because truly that is, that is generally within your circle of like, Oh, that you're saying I'm not perfect or doing everything exactly right. Or I've left myself open for a criticism instead of seeing it as an opportunity, which is it's unfortunately in our nature. I'm not accusing anybody because again, I've been there. Yeah, and I'll tell you, as as a leader, owner, entrepreneur, all those things, Becky, one of the, the most valuable lessons I learned early, early in my career was the power of saying, I did not know that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, because sometimes we put ourselves in these supervisory responsible roles, and it's we feel like it's our job to know everything, and it is so liberating to say, Becky, I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> it is, and it's empowering and encouraging for the people around you. And I guess my my sort of final thoughts on it, <laughs> as a management consultant, I always think about how hard people work to hire smart people and then choose to not listen to Amen. their smartness. Like, right. I'm like, you hired them because they were the best choice, because they're so experienced, because they're so knowledgeable, and yet you refuse right. to tap into that. So it is, it is, it's been... It's, it has been said many times, many ways, but surround yourself with people smarter than you. It is the best. And best then listen way. to them. <laughs> like that's the secret. It's right, like right, actually take what right. they say seriously. What yes. a great conversation. Lean into those smart people. You've got them all around you. And if you think you have a good idea, don't assume it's the best idea when you're bringing it to your veterinarian. Be open to them saying, here's why I'm not up for it. And be as open to being wrong as you want. I love that. You're right. Because at the end of the day, your idea may not actually be the best one for that practice. Wow. What a great conversation, Becky. I really have enjoyed this. I I hope viewfinders that you found some value in this conversation. Uh, I'd like to know, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you knew more than your boss about something and then had a struggle to bring that change to light. So we really like to hear your experiences around this, what you found worked and what didn't work. Uh, Definitely hit us up on social media. Let us know your favorite story about change or not. I'm like, tell me the time I need something more than Dr. Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's surrounding himself, himself with smart people now. Always. Right? That's how we're <laughs> successful. You guys, we want to hear from you. Most importantly, if you've got a minute, we would really appreciate just head over to Apple iTunes, hit those five stars, leave us a review. It helps us get our word out to you guys on a more regular basis and more people on board with these conversations. Yeah, it's kind of nuts how that works, Becky, but those little reviews actually it's, drive... It's, it really is. Everything. And and 
also it kind of makes me feel really good <laughs> we, yeah i like will you please tell us what we're not doing wrong tell us yeah i know right. and like becky and i'll text each other it's like oh my gosh this person it's like it, it it they said nice things it makes our day because you know come on viewfinders you know the world is filled with a lot of negativity sometimes and it's just so really overjoying to to go over there and read some of your comments so definitely hit us up that's right that's okay. well listen you can reach yeah. us on twitter at vet viewfinder you know i'm always about the twitter you can reach us at instagram on veterinary viewfinder of course facebook veterinary viewfinder uh, anywhere else you want to reach us becky and i are both on linkedin where we also post updates about the podcast until next time i hope you find a great week ahead of you and i hope that you have success in making change for the better in your life <laughs> Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Don't know how we did it, but we did it. <laughs>